there's like tons and tons of blogs that you can read stuff and and see like lots of good tips and tricks that make remote work well. But the thing that we've learned over the last five and a half years of working remotely is that it makes everything harder all the time. Yo, what's up, everybody? Your host, Andrew Linfoot here, and you are listening to the Pesto Podcast, where each week I sit down with some of the most innovative leaders in tech to chat about how to build and scale distributed teams. If you're looking to get an insider's perspective on the future of work, you're in the right place. I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Pesto Podcast. I'm sitting here with Dorian, the head of engineering at Heap. Uh, Dorian, you want to tell us a little bit about Heap and kind of your history, how you got started here? Yeah, Andrew. So Heap is a web and mobile analytics company. Basically, what we do is we help uh, product managers, growth marketers, uh, people who are working on products make their product better. And the way that we do that is we help them understand how their users are interacting with their products, whether it's a web application, a mobile application. Um, We basically track all of the interactions that users are doing automatically, and then we let you analyze that later. Um, So if you've used other tools in the space like Google Analytics, you've probably had the experience of uh, wanting to track something, let's say like how many people are adding an item to your cart. And the way that you do that is you actually go into your front end, you ship a little piece of tracking code, uh, you ship it to the front end, you wait for that data to come in for a few weeks, and then you can actually analyze that. Um, What sucks about this is as a product manager, you need to get your engineering team to actually do that. You have to wait a while for those results to come in. And that makes the cycle time from like asking a question to getting an answer on the order of weeks. If you're in a large enterprise, that can be up to like six months. And so what's different about Heap is because we track all of that data automatically, you never have to wait for that. You have a question, you go in, you have the data already, you define an event on top of that, and you can analyze it right away. Um, so if you have a question, you can ask that question, uh, get a result, immediately start asking other questions. Uh, and this this works on mobile apps, this works on your, your desktop app, and we actually bring in data from your third-party tools. So if you want to augment that with your Salesforce data, uh, we can make these analyses really, really powerful. Yeah, it's a pretty cool product. As someone who's done a lot of like uh, growth engineering type stuff, I'm used to peppering code with a bunch of different tracking snippets, and Heap kind of takes it all off the table and lets you get that data uh, backwards compatible too, which is pretty cool. So going back to uh, your story specifically, you were here super early at Heap, correct? Yeah. So I joined in early 2014 as our second engineer. Uh, we had two founders that started the company in middle of 2013. They, they went through Y Combinator. And then where, where are you guys at now? Yeah. So we've obviously grown quite a bit since then. Uh, we just recently raised a $55 million Series C. Um, the company is about 170 people these days, and the engineering team is, is 29 folks. Okay. And then, uh, you know, this podcast is about remote work. So tell us a little bit about uh, kind of, you know, you started out co-located, correct? Everyone here in San Francisco, or did you start with remote engineers from the beginning? No. So I was actually um, our first remote engineer. I started from Austin, Texas. Um, So the company was not intending to do remote. Um, They wanted me to move out to San Francisco. I had a lot of life reasons why I wasn't ready to do that. And so they decided to take a risk on me and work with a remote person for the first time in in all of their careers. Yeah. What was that? What was that like? Uh, Because that was 2014. So this was like way before remote work was trendy or talked about. How did that happen? Yeah, so I had worked remotely in, in my whole career prior to that. Um, so I'd done consulting whenever I was like 
in college, right out of college, I worked at a, a company in Austin that was a fully remote company. And so it was very natural for me, but it was, it was new for them. And it turned out that that the attitudes and the, the the ways that the founding crew was working was actually already really compatible. I remember the first time that I visited San Francisco, um, we were all sitting next to each other on IRC chatting with each other. Okay. Uh, even though we were right there, that was just the natural mode. We're all very, very high flow focused type people. And so we wanted to respect that from each other. And so from day one, it was already a very like async friendly culture. Oh, that's super cool. Okay. And then for as you grew, were you hiring more remote engineers? Or was it kind of like you were the exception? And then most people came in co-located? What's the kind of dynamic there? Yeah, so we we grew with a mix of folks. Um, I think after about six months or so of me working there, it was clear that that was working out really well. And and this is something we wanted to scale out. Um, and we hired we had one introduction from somebody who was an intern at Stripe, and he wanted to go back to um, go back to, to EU where he was from and, and work from, from there. And so we started working with him. That went pretty well. And we ended up hiring, a, a continuing hiring roughly about 30 to 40% people remote. Okay, that's cool, cool. And then uh, you, you know, you're, we're in SF in your office right now. So you are co-located at this point. What are your thoughts on, in general, like remote work, uh, kind of pros and cons since you've seen both sides? And do you also currently work remote ever? So I moved to San Francisco in 2016 to become the first engineering manager at Heap. At the time, we didn't have any like any trust that we'd be able to scale out remote management, even though we had scaled out IC really well. Um, that's totally different now. Uh, I'm the, actually the only engineering manager who's in San Francisco. Uh, we have five engineering managers that were spread out across North America and one in Australia. Um, but... In terms of like pros and cons for myself, since I moved to San Francisco, I've never worked a day remotely. Um, I okay. actually like I I now my job is to talk to people all day, and so like that is I think something that for me is is much more pleasant done in person. Um, but when I was working remotely, when I was doing engineering work, that was like head and shoulders better. Uh, working working from home. Uh, I'm personally somebody who has very very sensitive flow. It's like very easy to get knocked out of it. I get a lot of anxiety if I know that I might be interrupted. And so being in my apartment and for days on end is like the right thing for me. Um, and so I think for, it's a lifestyle choice for people, but it, it really varies. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I felt very much the same thing. When I go to India and work uh, co-located with the team, I, I get way less uh, kind of IC type programming work done, but kind of you get a lot more of the uh, interacting with people, morale, all that kind of stuff, uh, which is important work as well, yeah. um, done you know better and co-located. You guys still have a lot of your engineering managers remote then, yeah. not as kind of ICs. Um, so do you think then you pr have a personal preference to the kind of managing co-located personal uh, in-person conversations, but do you think there's like a productivity benefit to that as well, or is it more of just a personal preference? I, th I think that's just a personal preference. I also have a lot more... Um, a lot more ties to the rest of the like business as as a member of the executive team. And so I think our engineering managers are much more focused on engineering product and design. And so like the the amount of like meetings that I have with the rest of folks of the, of the business is quite high. So I don't think that's true for the rest of the the managers on the team. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. And then going back to kind of I want to talk about processes or things that you do that make remote work work at Heap. Yeah. Do you have anything in particular that? Uh, you think super interesting that you guys do that uh, kind of helps you accommodate remote workers well? Yeah. 
I, the, the, the caveat that I, I always like to give around this is I don't think there's any silver bullet for remote. Um, there's like tons and tons of blogs that you can read stuff and, and see like lots of good tips and tricks that make remote work well. But the thing that we've learned over the last five and a half years of working remotely is that it makes everything harder all the time and that it removes a lot of tools that you have as a manager, as a team to make things go well. And so I think it really demands a very, very high degree of operational excellence at every single level. And so I'll, I'll share like all the things that we've learned, but okay. um, I like to caveat that like these things really require you to be really on top of your game and really have things right at a fundamental level or it all really goes, goes, goes wrong. So before we jump into the things themselves, then do you think the trade-off is worth it? Because you said it kind of makes everything harder from an operational standpoint, yet you still are hiring remote. So... Is the kind of, I guess, the access to talent uh, trade-off and like retention and all that kind of what makes it worth it? Or just you already operate at a high enough level that since your practices are there, you don't, you don't need, you know, no. you don't feel the pain, I guess. I, I We do feel lots of pain. No, uh, about 60% of our team is remote and that's where we want to keep it for the future. And it's entirely access to talent. Like we have a fucking amazing team and we can't, are we allowed to say fuck on yeah, this? Yeah, you can say fuck. Okay. That's um, <laughs> we have a fucking amazing team and we wouldn't be able to access all these wonderful people if we didn't do remote. Um, the folks sure. that we have in remote time zones, a lot of them are from like Bay Area companies, but they wanted to move back to their mm-hmm. um, um, back to their their home countries, and so you, we have pedi- like pedigreed people that you might not expect people that worked at Google or or Stripe or other really strong companies. Got it. Yeah, yeah. That's a, a lot of people think, uh, you know, especially when you go remote places like I mean India. You know, obviously biased with all the association we have there with Pesto, but yeah. like people think it's all about cost savings, and it's really oftentimes about that uh, access to talent um, and about how you can kind of craft. Uh, Instead of like your life around your work, you can kind of craft your work around your your life a little bit. So it allows that flexibility. Yeah, we definitely don't save lots of money by hiring remote. That's not the, the goal of why we why we do this. And yeah, our, our engineer who is in India, he worked at GitLab for I think three years oh. or a little bit more than that. Um, like one of our strongest, strongest, uh, I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> edit that out. Uh, he's a super strong engineer and an overall lovely human. Okay, awesome. So back to the kind of tactile, Style advice uh, or tips and tricks you have. What what would you say some of those are, or maybe top top one to start with? Yeah, so I would say the the top one is actually like anti remote in that we do a period three times a year where we bring all of our people together into the headquarters, and this is kind oh. of the the cornerstone of our of our like cadence as a company as an engineering team. Um, we it's a two week period. One of those weeks is mandatory, and we get we get together. We mostly do like retrospectives, what's been going well over the last period. Um, mostly though, it's social bonding, team dinners, group dinners, all of that stuff. And we, we found that cadence to be really strong. Like every six months, you've kind of forgotten some of these people that you don't work with directly. Every three months, it's really challenging to like fly from Australia and India into San Francisco. Interesting. And, and why did that start? What's kind of the, the backstory there? And how long have you been doing that uh yeah. Ritual. So this started accidentally. Uh, we just like all of us remote people back probably in like 2015 or so would fly out from time to time. Uh, we called it remote con. Uh, <laughs> we, we really shocked our office manager back then. She had started like two weeks before and we we're like, hey, can you go to Ikea and buy some mattresses? We all want to sleep at the office. <laughs> and it was like we had we had we had race series. A. We had plenty of money. We could yeah. have like gone and got a hotel. But that was the kind of environment all of us were used to because we were working from from home. 
Um, and so we did that for a while. When I moved out here um, and was no longer coming in for RemoteCon, I decided to start a thing we call Edge Global. Um, that, that's the, the, the thing that it's turned into today. Um, and so it's actually been pretty a pretty deliberately crafted process. It is It was not very organic, like the RemoteCon thing was, but turning it into a cultural, um, like a cultural ritual was a very, like... Uh, purposeful process got it interesting and then is it for just your engineering team or is it for all teams so the sales team comes out there's no like internationally remote salespeople. we have sales mm -hmm. in, in salt lake and new york and they come out on a quarterly basis so we're actually off schedule with that it's just a little mm -hmm. bit too many too many people in the office at the same time it. um so it's nice. the entire uh, engineering product and design group um we do have um like we don't have any in, like product designers or pms remote right now but we're open to that possibly in the future so if we did have them we would, we would bring them in as well okay cool cool what about any other uh tips i know i, I gave you kind of the the insight to think of a few beforehand yeah. what other processes yeah you have in mind that are kind of super high value that have helped you out yeah so like one that i would would harp on is originally when we had remote we actually did time zone collocated teams and that meant that like our we had a european team and we had an asia pacific team and uh that was because their time zones were overlapping and they could use normal team practices and then about a year and a half ago, we realized that this was really limiting both like the careers of those people in those time zones. They 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 couldn't um, like they were stuck on that team forever, whether or not that aligned with their how they wanted to be growing. Uh, and it also really limited us as a management team to be able to deploy really smart people onto the problems that were changing as like the company priorities changed. And so what we did is we changed to a mo model where we actually have sharded teams across the across the world. And so this is obviously Very engineering way to look at your team sharded teams. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I, the Silicon Valley yeah, language is see in there somewhere too, you know. <laughs> bus factor is very important, yeah. Um, and this this is not without very very serious challenges, honestly. Okay. Um, and the thing that we've developed that that makes this work is this concept of working time windows. And what that is is each team defines the times when they will be available for meetings each day. And for some of our teams, that's pretty short. Like some teams just have eight to nine a.m. most days of the week in Pacific time, where they're all it's like a reasonable time for them to meet. And what we do is like when a new team member wants to join a team, the team needs to decide whether or not they want to contract their working time window to, to accommodate that or not. And when a team member leaves, they can also like expand their working time window. And okay. so this, this varies based on like what type of work is occurring. Like we have a team called the web team that builds our like um, the whole application, the, the full stack front end, et cetera. And they're working really closely with designers. They're iterating really, really quickly with users, doing user testing, all of those things. And they really need a large working time window because they need a lot of async time. And so they're actually only open to North American uh, people in North America right now. Um, but like our our some of our other teams, like our Ocean team, that's the team building the data warehouse software that um, takes heap data and take, puts it into our customers' data warehouses. That's has more ability to have these like long focus time blocks where. Uh, it makes sense for us to be able to have people split between here and in um, Europe. Interesting. That's super, super interesting. And then so you just basically, when they join the team, they mark on their calendar uh, or like the team marks it for, it has to be work for everybody or is it individually working time windows and team working time windows? No. So this is like, a, this is a team thing. It's it's not, it's not before, this is before they join the team. Like the, the team, the oh, person right. has to be accepted by the team uh, into this, into this time window. Um, individuals are expected to work pretty normal hours. Like it, we've found that it doesn't work very well for somebody to like live in Europe, but run purely on Pacific time, yeah. like going really outside of what your body wants you to do has not worked out for us for us in the past. We don't, we ask people not to do that. Interesting. 
thing. Have you so have you tried that then in the past with some some people? People have ever tried that before, and <laughs> like people have different like abilities to do that. Sometimes people will do that for interviews if they like all of our interviews for remote candidates are done remotely uh, because it gives us a better sense of like what it's going to be like working with this person. Um, and so we've had people stay up till three or four in the morning doing an interviews definitely affects their performance and i think it affects them in a day-to-day sense as well yeah that makes sense i mean the the whole sustainability of that like for pesto we kind of advocate for that for onboarding yeah just because like most teams are really bad at onboarding particularly remote and so it kind of time zone matching can help in that sense but the long-term sustainability that is definitely uh you know difficult yeah we we require everybody to be in san francisco for the first two weeks like with with, like no exceptions what type of equipment or tools that you use for remote work that kind of helped you out yeah so something we've realized is that having access to like super super high quality av equipment is just critical um and to get there we provide a two thousand dollar budget for remote workers we expect them to spend some of that on microphone camera make that really good um every single meeting room within the engineering pod uh, near heap is a zoom room and the like quality difference there is just amazing we used to do a thing where we would do remote only meetings where like if one person was remote all of the people who were in san francisco would get their laptops and go into separate rooms yeah Um, um, that was like all right, and it was like more fair, but um, we we don't have that many conference rooms to do that, and like almost every single meeting has a remote person in it, and so that wasn't really necessary. Having the Zoom rooms makes it feel like somebody's there. They're very loud, so if somebody wants to like jump in, it's totally uh, fine. Yeah, that makes sense. We've tried that too. Like, I think if you don't have the right equipment, it can kind of the remote people can kind of feel left out. But if you have good equipment, and especially yeah. if you have a company culture where everyone's kind of cognizant of the fact that someone's remote and yeah. like isn't trying to have side conversations. I think that can work out uh, pretty well. What kind of equipment, like specifically, would you recommend? Uh, I'd have to. I don't. We can put in Amazon referral links for you. We know, will make put a in some bucks. Amazon referral <laughs> yeah. links. We, there, I think the camera uses a Logitech one. The microphone uh, is like a headset thing that looks really geeky. It looks like you're working in a call center, but it, okay. the quality is great. Um, yeah, and, and like the culture is really important here. Like I think if you fumble for more than like ten seconds at the start of a meeting to get remote people in, like you've failed. Uh, if it is a normal thing of like people forget Zoom links or people like forget to hit the like join button, then your culture is not like remote friendly enough. Interesting. Okay. And then do you then basically attach Zoom links to every yes. meeting for, for yeah. every remote person? Okay. Yeah. What about, uh, I, I read Balsamic. They do, they provide not only the AV equipment, but they also provide like a, a desk lamp. So the hmm. remote people, when they phone into calls, they can have better lighting on their face. So they don't have to feel like, you know, the harsh lighting, shadows looking bad. Uh, if you thought about throwing that, that in the mix that's a great idea uh one of our people the way his camera was set up had like ceiling fans in the background and it was like amazingly distracting okay um so like those things do matter a lot it makes it feel much more professional to work with somebody who has a really high quality background some of our people have two cameras one of them that will point to like a whiteboard so we can do remote whiteboarding oh, cool. sessions which is really cool um like we do a lot of whiteboarding during Inge global and we'd like to spread that out during other times as well interesting okay so i i did a podcast literally just yesterday with a, a pesto hiring partner and they were talking about remote work one of the biggest problems they have is whiteboarding they don't have a a solution to that remote so what is your remote whiteboarding solution look like the camera anything else kind of pro tips there um we've played with some of the like on online whiteboarding solutions but i can't say that we've done a fantastic job of this this is really something we've realized recently like we had this during one of the the end globals we do a hack week per one hack week per year and a thing we noticed was during hack week everybody came together formed small teams to attack a problem the first thing they did was all go into rooms and whiteboard together and we're like that's totally missing from our day-to-day culture 
So that's something that has, we've only started working on in the last few months. Interesting. Yeah, that is kind of like a, a tough one, especially in engineering culture. It's, there's something fun about oh, yeah. you know, just getting in, whiteboarding on a problem, yeah. jamming, and all that. And uh, like we have a really good written culture, so we have the ability to do really like really really high quality like designer architecture review using the like request for comment documents we do all of our like product briefs are very well written by our product managers and describe the problem really well and so i think that re- results generally in a better ability to like get at the details get the the all the stuff right um, but it does lack for like brainstorming type sessions or, or things like that yeah and it's it's like there's something about that it's not quite as fun i feel like too just like there's something about just you know pacing in front of a whiteboard throwing ideas out with a bunch of smart people that I don't think we've found either kind of a full replacement for uh, Pesto. But. Yeah, I would say that uh, some of our engineers would agree with that, and some of our engineers' fun is like sitting in a dark room and okay. like writing up a long docs, but uh, definitely teach their own. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so uh, last time we chatted, you sent me over a, a document about what you look at for vetting uh, remote workers. So I thought it was super, super interesting. Uh, you want to talk everyone through kind of how Heap thinks about vetting for remote work? Yeah, so previously what we did was we just judged on experience. Basically, if you had done real remote work where real is working from your house on a fully remote team or like mostly remote team uh, for more than a, a year or so, um, then that was the the thing we were looking for. And what we found is that really limited us to people who had had the opportunity to have some company take a risk on them. Um, actually, before that, we, we didn't have any rules at all and we had worked with people who were first-time remote. And the thing we found was about 50% of people, it just doesn't work for their life. Like, they are not the type of human who can stay in their apartment for four days without leaving like I am. Okay. And like <laughs> that was just like a bad fit for them. They, they need the social connection. They need like the whiteboarding thing like you're describing. Yeah. And so we, in reaction to having a bad experience with that, we implemented that like rule for experience, but that was really limiting. And so in the last six months or so, we've been able to do a lot more experience, like skill-based evaluations. Um, and so the, the two things that we evaluate are the like skills and experience and the motivation. Like, we found certain classes of things to be a lot more indicative of like classes of experience to be a lot more indicative of your um, performance people who have had remote experience working on a fully remote team from their house that's like the gold standard Um, people who have worked from a satellite office where like they're the only person on a team that is like located somewhere else that's like pretty good but not as good like you're still going to an office every day you still have that routine you still have that structure Um, and people who have like worked at an office with their team and then like one day a week or something they will work remotely that experience has actually turned out to be not real experience not real remote experience so you don't really get the feel for what it's like month six into a job where you're not seeing your coworkers every day. Um, and so we judge based on experience on, on that dimension. And then motivation is also really important. Like the people who are really successful with remote are the people who want it, want to be very successful with it and want to create a very like consistent lifestyle around it. Um, we found people who want to like travel, for example. Like if you want, if you're somebody who wants to like move cities every other week and like work from coffee shops all the time, we've generally found that to be both really disruptive for collaboration. Like you're changing time zones all the time. We have had people go and like temporarily move from San Francisco. Maybe they'll work from uh, like Spain for a month or something like that. That's been pretty productive. They're like usually they'll find like an Airbnb that has a very high quality internet. They'll get yep. the setup going and they'll have enough like permanency to do that. And then they're back after a while. And so that's been. A, a good thing for us but generally people who have a stable life environment where they have a good working environment whether that's a co-working space which can be good or bad or working from their house have been the, the people who have been the most successful okay interesting so when that kind of what that looks like in practice is that basically the when you interview them for a remote position you kind of ask them questions about 
their motivation and kind of just like dive deep into why they have a preference for remote or how does that kind of process pan out in practice? Yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly it. We also ask for a writing sample, like written communications are extremely important. Um, If they like either want them to send a project plan over, or if they can't do that, we have a prompt for them to to actually fill out. Um, But getting tone right, getting all those things right is really, really difficult. Getting your emotions across and getting your actual content across are equally important to us. Um, So we, we do those types of evaluations and yeah, we really just dig in with like, why are you considering a remote position? Are you considering other remote positions? If we talk to somebody and they're in uh, a different city and they're mostly considering like local things there or us, it's kind of a red flag. It's like, maybe it's a yellow flag. It's something to dig <laughs> into of like, why, um, why are you just talking to us? Because like, we're a, like a company you've heard about or something like that. We want you to be wanting to do remote because it's a good fit for your lifestyle, because you're the type of person who thinks they can get more done working remotely, mm-hmm. not because it just happens to be convenient. Interesting. Okay. And then some of that stuff, like, uh, do you, I guess, provide any training for people for kind of bettering their remote communication for maybe some people comes in co-located who might not have as good a writing skills. Do you guys kind of like think about that or like kind of teach people how they can better uh, incorporate in work with the remote employees? Yeah. So as I mentioned, like all of our managers happen to be remote right now. So like oh, you get kind of a freebie from <laughs> yeah. that. Um, we have a really uh, well-structured onboarding program where you're getting really tight feedback from your your peers about like what the quality of your work is, what your actual presentation or like what what you're saying during standup, whether that's useful or not. Um, and it's like there's a very, very tight feedback culture around this stuff and people get good at it pretty quickly generally. Okay. And so you mentioned standups. So standups are kind of interesting thing <laughs> in... Uh, remote work like uh they're kind of hard sometimes especially with time zones um it's kind of a de facto standard and co-located remote it kind of hit or miss what do you think about stand-ups do you do them do they work yeah, so we've tried every single thing that you could imagine <laughs> okay. over the last five years. We've tried asynchronous, we've tried synchronous, we've tried a combination of both where you like wrote a thing up and then we talked about it. Um and We've tried this with like different styles of teams, teams that were co-located, teams that were apart, um, different types of managers. We tried everything. And the conclusion that I feel very firm about is that um, synchronous stand-ups work better, but asynchronous stand-ups are not useless. So the synchronous ones, like the core thing that you're trying to do with Agile is get a bunch of smart people together and get them to work on a problem as if they're one unit. And the thing that uh, synchronous stand-up allows for is immediate question asking. Like, if the thing you're bringing up is, like, I'm blocked on this goal that the team is trying to accomplish, and your teammate, if you if you write that, and your teammate reads that three hours later, you've lost three hours. And if you multiply that out by a large team, it just constantly happens, and it slows down the team, like, a lot. So... The thing we've seen is that having pretty regular synchronous stand-ups is a very, very uh, powerful thing to keep a team on track. Um, we have like relaxed that for some teams where some of the work style allows for it or the team, like the personnel style works for it. I think like more senior engineers generally can get away with a little bit more of this. Um, but generally speaking, we've we've really settled on that. Okay, so in practice, you say more regular is that every day during that working hours window, I'm guessing, for each team. Uh, is that basically how it works? Yeah, so most teams do daily stand-ups. I think some are on a like two times a week one or okay. four times a week. If, if we have people who are in uh, like the far east time zones, uh, like the APAC time zones, they're, yeah. they're our Friday is their Saturday, so they're not going to meet yeah. during that day. Um, so like usually somewhere between two and four to five times a week is how okay. often we meet. And that's synchronous Zoom call, 10, 15 minutes kind of thing? Yeah, usually they're, they're less than 10 minutes. Our teams are about five or six. If we feel like stand-ups are going more than 10 minutes, then something is 
going wrong with the team processes, and okay, we should we should fair. move that stuff move that stuff out of it. Um, and so those 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 calls are usually pretty aggressive about deferring those things to to like a, a follow up call afterwards with a smaller group. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. And then do you also document it for everyone else to kind of participate asynchronously that isn't on that team in that working window? Generally or, not, no. Okay. Um, like the day-to-day execution of teams is rarely, um, like rarely do we have dependencies where those things matter. If we do, then we just bring that person from the other team. Like if we have two teams working so closely on one feature together that they need that day-to-day context, then we have the person come to the other person, the other team stand up. Got it. Okay, interesting. And then, so you tried all these other methods beforehand yeah. and then settled on this. Is there anything that like, uh, like I guess what didn't work about the other methods specifically about async or like kind of what went wrong so like usage is just generally low across the board no matter how much you yell at people or like uh whatever there's always going to be like 20 percent that don't fill it out on a given day and like that seems relatively small but it's actually a really big deal because if that person is blocked on that day or somebody else is blocked on them it's really bad then there's no way to enforce when people actually read these things so the the time between these things is very large if you miss somebody like signing off for the night then you're adding a day of latency to this whole thing um the other thing is it's really hard to focus on like stand-ups need to focus on what goals you're trying to accomplish and not what you happen to do yesterday or what you happen to be doing today mm-hmm. like they need to focus on um how are we progressing towards this like piece of customer valuable software that we're trying to deliver and it's really hard to to communicate that asynchronously, I think. And it's really hard for people to ask the right follow-up questions. We just don't see the right discussions happening almost ever from from those things. Got it. Interesting. Yeah, that's like uh, when we tried the async stand-ups, it was basically just became like a a task list. Yeah. And it wasn't super high value for anyone. It was annoying to fill out. 20% didn't do it or so. That's about what we had too. And it just kind of... It, we, we just stopped doing it because it just created no value. So that's interesting. Yeah, uh, one one litmus test I really like to see is for one of our teams that's mostly San Francisco, but their manager is in Australia. On Fridays, they still do a stand-up, and I will see them occasionally doing that here, and they're running it themselves. They're doing a really good job. So this is like clearly a tool that is useful for them and not just like management bullshit and that's the like standard we have for all of our processes that these are the things that the team cares really deeply about because it helps them get their job done lets them focus lets them do the things really great at and not overhead that they hate okay so what does a a good stand-up look like at heap what are you kind of actually doing talking about what is like a good practice maybe what is something you shouldn't do during stand-up yeah, so you definitely, like, I can start with things you shouldn't do. You should not be get engaging in conversations that are any more than, like, oh, that's surprising. Let's talk about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely should not be having these, like, very, very long descriptions of, like, wh- what minutia you're working on. The thing that's really productive is if you're going around the room and saying, these are the, the, the goals that I'm trying to accomplish. These are how they relate to the team goals. Here's where I'm blocked. Here's where I'm having seeing surprises. Here's where, basically, we have new information that has come in since we did planning. Whether that's implement like information from having a harder time implementing this than we expected, or like we got some user feedback and it's not very good, or um, there's a cross team dependency that's not landing. Any of those things are are really important things to bring up, and. Um, so focusing on that, um, we do oftentimes use that as a venue for bringing, like, the manager can bring information in. But if that thing gets into, like, a long monologue, that's really bad. Like, a few bullet points of, like, hey, we hired this person. That's really good information to bring <laughs> okay. in there. Uh, but not, like, hey, we have this long, long thing. Got it. Okay. That's that's a really good playbook. I think that I'm going to take that back to our team to work on our stand-ups because that's, that's solid. Okay. Uh, one last question I like to kind of ask everyone. Um before we wrap up here is 
what is the uh, most surprising thing about uh, kind of remote work, growing the team remotely that uh, you think, you know, everyone else should know about? The thing that you didn't expect kind of going into it that you're like, oh, yeah, I'm glad we learned this. I I didn't expect there to be as many people like me as, as there are. Um, there's there's so and many. What do you mean by like you? Like What's me in the sense that they come to the open office and they are they are just like I can't get things done. Like I can't focus. I am like kind of paralyzed in this scenario. And then you get them back into their to their house and they're just like amazingly productive engineers. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think a lot about how many people are are currently in offices and have that same like predisposition and they're like drastically less effective than they could be if they were working remotely um and that like there's so many people that have that that kind of predisposition and also have the ability to keep their life on track without having the structure of coming into an office every day like everybody that i've talked to i think it's actually a surprising thing is that everybody has different tricks for keeping on track mm-hmm. like some people have to have a different space in their house where they can go to and they feel like mm-hmm. they're in the office some people have to put clothes on uh and <laughs> so they like feel like they're getting ready yeah. for the day some people have to leave their house entirely and go to a coffee shop or co-working space and a surprising thing with that is it's different for every single person and that everybody has their own thing that makes remote work but um what's surprising to me is just how how effective they are doing this yeah okay that was a really good answer i like that interesting and i definitely can relate to that because i feel the same thing like if i'm doing especially if i'm doing engineering work i'm just nowhere near as productive uh remote versus just like wake up make a make breakfast pot of coffee and just in front of my monitor headphones in don't talk to anybody kind of thing yeah, I constantly had the experience of it being like 2 p.m. and I'm like, shit, I forgot to eat lunch. Yeah, like, exactly. This You're is like, a wow. chore. Let's just throw a lot of things in the blender and drink it and yeah. you know, get back to work. Yeah, Soylent, you know, good good, uh, good uh, customer there for that stuff. Yeah. Um, cool, awesome. Uh, so before we wrap up, anything you'd like to kind of plug related to Heap, promote, uh, anything the listeners should know about? Um, so as you can guess, we just raised a pretty big round. We're hiring at Heap for basically every single position. Um, in particular, we're hiring engineers both on the like medium, medium and experience side, people who have like two to five years of experience as well as more experienced people. Um, we're also looking for product designers and, and product managers. So um, get in touch. Cool. Awesome. And they're remote friendly. So <laughs> yeah, we as I mentioned, we're, we actually have an office in New York City as well. We opened up a few months ago. Um, so we have offices in San Francisco and New York. And then, yeah, we're hiring remote uh, across the world. Cool. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Andrew. Hey there, Pesto Podcast listeners. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you got a lot out of the show, and I'm incredibly grateful for your support. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your go-to podcast player or leave an honest review. Every review makes it easier for other people to discover the podcast, and I really appreciate it. If you know someone who might be a great guest for the show, please let me know on our social media channels or by shooting me an email at podcast at pesto.tech. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week.